so thank it's you. on. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Did you ever hear a preacher say, before I preach this morning, I want to say something? <laughs> uh, anyway, I appreciate what Carl did in uh, taking this section, and he may have said what I'm about to say, but it's worth saying twice. Uh, a lot of preachers I know think that the time we spend in doing things for the Lord can be counted up in the amount of time we spend in services, Bible classes, and special programs that the church has. And biblically, that's just not so. Uh, what we have just read through the first part of this whole study in, in Ephesians has to do with the glorious body of Christ, the church, one body for all people. And then at this point, he says, therefore... And what he does there is say, therefore, what ought to happen because of that? And he doesn't say, therefore, attend every service of the church and, and work in all the programs that the church has for visitation. I'm not downplaying those. Those are important. Those all need to be done. But this that we're talking about here is also the work of the church. I've heard Randy say the same thing, kingdom work. Uh, and when a wife and husband love each other, and when the husband goes off to work, and he's encountered by somebody, some woman who's often obviously coming on to him, and when, like Joseph, he flees instead of biting the bait, he's doing church work. He's doing exactly what this epistle says that he needs to do. And on the other side of that, when we love each other, when we are kind to each other, when we're gentle, when we forgive one another, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, we're doing church work. And what uh, this epistle and the other epistles, virtually all of them, want to tell us is that our day-to-day -day life and our day-to-day -day conduct and our day-to-day -day attitudes that we show toward others is a major part of what God wants us to do and to be as Christians and as part of his church. And that's the kind of thing that wins others. That's being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. When we live that way, in such a way that uh, it's so obvious to other people that it's different, then we are honoring what God says to do because we're children of God and members of his one glorious body, the church. And I think we need to keep that in mind in all that we do from day to day. It's important what we do here on Sunday morning. But it's equally important, and I think the prophets would say it was more important, what we do Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, in other people's presence and uh, in our day-to-day -day, uh, work. Having covered a great deal of that, we now come to uh, chapter 5 
and a sort of a thesis, thesis statement or theme statement submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What he does there is, after saying submitting to one another, he gets specific. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Employees, submit to your employers. I'm changing the word a little bit to fit our situation today. And those are specific ways that specific people are to submit. But the theme statement, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, reminds us that all of us have some submitting to do. And it all begins with our submitting to God. Submitting to Jesus Christ because he's the Son of God. Uh, and, and one of the things that we need to think of when we realize that uh, wives are to submit to their husbands is uh, that's not a position of inferiority. Uh, some people present it that way. Modern day feminists laugh at it. But the fact of the matter is that the very same passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that teaches that women who submit to their wives submit to their husbands also teaches that Christ submits to God. Now there's some Christian doctrine that would be very turned on his tail if, God, if Christ was in any way inferior to God. He is of the same essence of God that God the Father is. But nevertheless, he submits. Submission does not imply inferiority. Jesus tells his apostles that when they get over the, question, over the uh, desire to be greater than the others and to have the place of prominence in the kingdom of God to be able to call the shots, that when they submit to each other, they're finding the way to be truly great. He who would be great among you, let him be your servant. And submission is a way to find greatness. And one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that can be said to women when they submit to their wives, when they submit to their husbands, as Christ submits to the church, is that they give all of us a model in how to achieve true greatness. Because submission is the way to greatness. Just as Jesus submitted to the Father and therefore became Lord of Lords and King of Kings. First of all, in this practical way that he talks about here, he does say that wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the Head of the, even Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Uh, I want to pause here for a sort of a sideline that a lot of people talk about. It's almost uh, a matter of fun to people. You say, oh, you people church of Christ think you're the only ones going to heaven. By the way, I read something the other day about the church of Satan in California. It used to be a lot of talked about thing when it was first coming about. It's been several years now. And I don't know why it got revived, but I saw something in the news about it. It reminded me of a story that I heard back in those days where somebody got on the telephone and dialed the number of the Church of Satan. And when they answered the telephone, the question was asked, hey, do you folks think you're the only ones going to hell? 
what is the Church of Christ? Well, it, it has a clearly defined group of people, obviously, and you can find some of us in the yellow pages, but you do not find the totality of us in the yellow pages. Every, nearly every person I hear preach says this same thing, but then ignores the rest of it, the implications of it. Anybody who hears what the people heard on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, anybody who believes that, and anybody who believing that says, what must I do to be saved? What, what, what brethren, what shall we do? And is told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And who does that? That is, who repents, having already believed. Who repents and is baptized for the remission of sins. He does what God said to do. And he receives what God said he would receive. Remission of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he becomes what they became. They became Christians. Not a member of any denomination, not a member of any man-made organization of any sort. But right at that time, when they obeyed the gospel, they became Christians. Whether they were among the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost who had the apostles right there with them to tell them all the rest they needed to do, or whether they were the lonely Ethiopian eunuch on the road back home who probably knew a little bit more than we we're told, but who knows obviously very little in terms of the totality of what ultimately Christians need to know. But when he left, he received remission of sins. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he was a Christian. He was a member of the Church of Christ. One of the marks of a denomination as opposed to the church is denominations think that they're the whole body of Christ and anybody outside of them is not. Or else it's the other way around. They admit that they're not the whole body of Christ and therefore don't contain all the members, all the Christians. But if we understand church like we're to understand what the Bible says about it, then the church consists of anybody who has heard what they heard, believed what they believed, done what they did, and received what they received. Talking about the day of Pentecost. Uh, and one can run across people and widely, you know what, what we've said about that? We have said that's clear enough in Scripture for anybody to just read Scripture and understand it. And then when we find somebody who's done that and says they have, we don't believe it. It is true. It's clear. It can be understood. A lot of people misunderstand it because they've had a lot of help misunderstanding it. But it's still, mis it's still understood by even some people who had that help. And we need to believe if somebody says... I understood that I was lost before I was baptized, and I was baptized, therefore, to be saved. Then they remember everything we remember of. They received everything we received. There's still some things the church needs to do that a lot of people don't do. And may I say it the other way around, there's still a lot of things that we're supposed to do that 
A lot of churches don't do. But at the beginning, when we hear what they heard, believe what they believed, did what they did, we received what they received, and we become what they became. So the church is wider oftentimes. Well, what that ends up being is that the Lord keeps the role of the church. His is the only one that counts. I've told this story often enough, you may get tired of it, uh, but it, it illustrates this point to me. Uh, when I was at Portland, Oregon, we had a couple come to see us, another elder and I, uh, who wanted help. She wanted help in her marriage. He didn't care. He'd, he'd already given up on it. And during the course of the conversation, she said something to him about being a Christian and what he ought to do as a, as a Christian, how he ought to act. And he got sort of huffed up and he said, hmm, you, you talk about being a Christian to me all the time. He said, only when I was ever baptized get you and the preacher off my back. Well, I don't know whether he was telling the truth then or not. He may have been. I do know at that particular point, he was at a point where he wanted to hurt his wife any way he could. And, uh, and that would do it. But if he, what he said was true, and it could be, and he never was a Christian. He never was a member of the church. We thought he was. We used him in services, counted him as a member, added him to our roles. But our roles don't count. And if what he said was true, then he never was a member of the church, and the Lord never counted him as such. And we can be mistaken about who he is, and we can also be mistaken about who isn't. And that's why it's important to know that the Lord's role is the one that counts. That doesn't mean you can't tell the difference. There are things that are clear about what we need to do. But a lot of it depends on the heart. And the Lord can read hearts and we can't. And that's just one of the things we need to keep in mind. Why submit yourself to your own husbands as the church submits to Christ? Submission is a place of honor. Submission is a way to greatness. Jesus said that. I can, I can say that and you can say, I hear you talking. But Jesus said that very, very clearly. And, and we need to believe it. To submit to a husband means to honor his wishes, to do what he wants, to try to make him happy. I was told one time that uh, there was somebody, probably an apocryphal story, there was some wife who, uh, I mean some husband, who got upset because his wife wouldn't obey him. And so he picked up the phone and called the cops and said, hey, will you come make my wife obey me? She won't do it. And you can imagine how that turned out. Uh, and obviously that's not the way that God intended that. That is obviously just an apocryphal story. But nevertheless, it illustrates a point that the Bible never tells husbands, get your wife under submission. Make your wife obey you. No such explanation, no such commandment, no such expectation is ever given. Submission, biblical submission, is always a voluntary act. Now, I don't mean God hadn't commanded it. I don't mean there aren't consequences to disobeying God. But as far as the person to being submitted to, causing somebody else to submit to them, we don't do that. The wife submits because the Bible says to submit. And suppose my wife won't submit to me. What am I supposed to do and what can I do to help bring it about? Well, the Bible does say something to husbands. It doesn't say, husband, get your wife under submission. 
But it does say, husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So if my wife won't submit to me like I think she should, what do I do? Well, I, I should love her into submission. And if I don't love my wife like she thinks I could, how does she get that love? Well, she submits to me to bring about love. And the end of this whole thing of husbands and wives ends with the essence of what it's all about. Let the wife, let the husband see that he loves his wife and let the wife see that she respects her husband. King James says reverence her husband. Those are the two things that are needed in all marriages. Love on the part of a husband to a wife. Respect on the part of a wife to a husband. And if a wife respects her husband, she won't have any trouble submitting. And the husband loves his wife because God says to. And when he, when he loves one who respects him, he doesn't have any trouble carrying that love. But here's a, here's a secret that we need to learn. If I go into a marriage like a lot of people do, you recognize this when I start talking about it. If I go into a marriage like a lot of people do and I think to myself, I need to go into this marriage so I can be happy. And my wife needs to give me what I need to be happy. And the wife, of course, goes into the marriage the same way. I went into this marriage because I need to be happy and my husband needs to do the things that make me be happy. It doesn't take long for a husband and wife to find out that there are only so much, so many resources that are in any way uh, voluntary as to how to use. Uh, I'd like to spend a lot of money, and I'm a husband. And I find out very quickly that there's a lot of money I've got to spend. I've got to pay the rent. I've got to pay the credit card bill if there is one. I've got to pay all the other obligations I have. I need to pay the light bill and the water bill. And on and on and on until I look at my paycheck and there's just not much left. There's not a lot of discretionary income in nearly any marriage that I know about for one to spend on either himself or herself. And more important than money, it's time. We all think money is important, but when it gets down to the bottom line, most of us will spend money in order to save time. And we value time. And one of the ways we value time the most is, as a wife, I want my husband to spend time with me. As a wife, I want my and as a husband, I want my wife to spend time with me. But there's the same problem as money. There's just not a lot of discretionary time that we have to do what we want to with it. Most of it's taken up with things that have to be done and demands that others make on us. And after you get children, that's multiplied uh, as all the places you've got to go and places you ought to take and all that kind of thing. And it ends up with money and time as well. There's just only a very little bit of it that's discretionary to go to either of us. And if I go into the marriage with the idea, I've got to be made happy and my wife's got to make me happy that I'm going to go grab for all the discretionary money and time that I can find and use it for myself. And she'll want to use it for herself. And before long we find ourselves quarreling about that and instead of being happy we find ourselves being very unhappy because neither one of us 
is getting the satisfaction out of marriage we thought we were getting married for. But suppose we do it the Bible way. Suppose instead of my using whatever money and time there is to uh, please myself, I do my best to use whatever there is to please my wife and love her with it. And suppose she, instead of doing whatever she can to get all that for herself, decides to submit to me and look for my happiness and use it for me. Then what happens? Both of us gets more of what it takes to make us happy than either one of us did by trying to grab it for ourselves. It's just that way. When the wife is set to make her husband happy, submitting to him, when the husband is set to make his wife happy, loving her, then they both become, we both become happier than either one of us could by trying to grab everything for ourselves. And that's the key not only to a successful marriage, but to a happy marriage for both partners. And if it doesn't work, just remember it's God's way. And God's way always works. And it's something, if you have never tried it, you really ought to try. And there's one indication in the Bible that even if both of them won't do it, one, the other one should anyway. Uh, over in First Peter, he talks about the wife who as a husband who's not a Christian and without the word, she wins him by her manner of life. I've heard that a lot and talk about going to church all the time. That's important and that's a way to do it. Matter of fact, I heard about one story that I think was true about a husband who really just felt deprived by his wife going to church. He wanted that time for himself and uh, he discouraged her in every way that he could. And one day he decided to take, hide the keys from the car so she wouldn't be able to, to drive. And it happened that that was a snowy day. And she uh, wrapped herself up in winter garments, wrapped the children up in winter garments, started out early enough to walk to church. And the husband saw her resolve and became so impressed. He hunted up the keys, got in his car, drove by and said, get in, I'll take you to church. It won't always work that way. Um, some husbands are just too thick-headed uh, to even respond to that. But it often will. And, and specifically what is being told in that thing is to, is to be the best wife you can in the way that the Bible tells us to be a wife. Be a quiet and submissive wife. Love your, be submitting to your husband like God says to, to help him to love you like he says to. It won't work every time. But it works a lot. And even when it doesn't work, we're doing what we need to do and what we ought to do in order to please God in our, in our marriage. But when we're both Christians and we both apply it, we find ultimate and absolute happiness in that way that cannot be found when we seek to grab everything for ourselves. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord. Children, submit to your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Well, because it's right. It's what's to be done. I, I suppose, in some sense, that Paul is talking here to uh, Christian children. Uh, otherwise, uh, why obey what Paul the Apostle says, and, and why does it matter whether it's right or not? 
Uh, but let me talk a minute about children obeying. Uh, there's a lot of the Bible. Uh, you, you can read it in Proverbs. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find there's a lot in the Bible about making children obey. And while you don't make your wife obey, you love her into obedience. Love her into submission. You make your children obey. And over and over again, it talks about it. Bear the rod and spoil the child. It's not an exact quotation, but it's close enough to be the essence of what the Bible says over and over again. And one of the times it says, go ahead and use the rod. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically telling you what it says. Go ahead and use the rod. And if he cries, don't worry about it. It won't kill him. <laughs> It'll help him. Uh, there's some, I was told one time by somebody who obviously didn't know that there's a fine line between proper discipline of a child and child abuse. No, that's not at all true. There's a wide, wide gap between making a child obey and even using a rod, even using spanking to make him obey and child abuse. You never get close to that when you're causing people to, causing children to obey. Let me mention a couple of common errors that I've seen. Number one, you don't spank a child because he got in your way and kept you from seeing the touchdown on what you've been watching all afternoon to see. Uh, you don't spank a child because he inconveniences you. You don't spank a child because he accidentally knocks over a glass of water on the table when there's pres company present. You don't spank a child because he makes mistakes, because he does something unintentional. <laughs> I've often wished I had the, had the uh, gall, I guess is the term to do this. I heard about one guest one time, who a little child turned over a glass of water and the daddy was getting on him very, very strongly and looked like he was about to spank him and the guest turned over his water. I've never had a nerve to do that, but I've thought about it. Uh, accidents and inconveniences are not reasons for spanking a child. Children need to be spanked. Listen to this very carefully. Children need to be spanked when they are deliberately and knowingly disobeying what the daddy or mother says to do. That's when they need to be spanked. And not terribly hard, just hard enough to let them know they're doing something that's not right and that they need to be changing their conduct. A spat on the already cushioned place is enough. I've never suggested anybody slap their child in the face. I've never suggested anybody hit them hard enough to leave a bruise or cause any kind of obvious abuse to have taken place. They get the message. As a matter of fact, a lot younger than most of us think if we watch carefully, we can see those times when we have told the child to do something, the child understands what we've told it to do and is deliberately not doing it. And however young they are, this little spat will help correct that. And if you do that early enough and consistently enough for that reason, by the time they get to be five or six, they won't need it anymore for the most part. Uh, but that's the time to spank and not abuse. 
the time to spank is when the child is knowingly, obviously understanding what you're telling him or her to do and refusing to do it. And if they're not corrected at that time, some people here don't like stamp banking and they want to uh, give time out or go stand in the corner. Some kind of message that that's not acceptable conduct has to be given, whether it's banking or something else. And it needs to be given at that time and for that purpose and for no other. And when it is done, the child learns to obey his parents and the Lord and to know, indeed, that that's right. That's what's supposed to be done. And then, servants obey your masters. We don't have slavery today, thank God. And by the way, one of the reasons we don't have slavery today is because of Christians. Uh, almost all of the impetus to do away with slavery has come, at least from Christian principles and people who believe those Christian principles and begin to preach them to others. And just to start with, if there was nothing in the Bible about it except doing to others, you'd have them doing to you. You would never find anybody owning somebody else. But there's a lot more about it than that. And very quickly, uh, we learn that even though Paul and the Bible decides, I think it was a deliberate decision, not to turn the world upside down and not to create a major revolution inside the Roman Empire and therefore didn't oppose slavery by telling slaves they were free and not to obey their masters. <coughs> that what they did do was plant the seeds that ultimately did away with slavery. And though we don't have slavery today, we do have people who hire out to, another, to others. And we have employees and employers. And the employer agrees with the employee that he will pay them so much for time they use and talent they use in their business. And when they do that, they'll be rewarded by pay. And it's sort of a voluntary slavery, if you please. And he directs both sides of that. To slaves, he says, first of all, remember... that when you obey your master, you're not just obeying man. God has told you to be submissive to that one who has employed you, to that one who has paid you for your time, and you're to use his, that your time honestly for him in the way that he directs you to do. And you're to do it not just when he's looking, not just as a man pleaser, but you're to think of that as though Jesus himself were your employer and obey him like you would if it were Jesus telling you what to do. Uh, I don't know how many people go to work with that viewpoint. But all of us who are Christians should. We ought to think of it that way and we ought to do it in that way. We ought to obey in that way. Because that's what God said do. And then on the other hand, he also tells the employer that he's got a master in heaven and there's not any partiality with him and he needs to be submissive to that master as well. And here and in other places he says don't withhold his wages, uh, pay him what he's due, and don't mistreat him. Well, pretty simple phrases. Doesn't elaborate a lot on it. But it would do away with a lot of things that goes on in our world if everybody just did that. 
It still is the case that there are huge corporations that uh, mistreat and exploit their workers. It still is true that there are workers who don't want to plead, don't want to do what their masters tell them to do, who steal things that belong to the company and take it home for their personal use. The Bible says not pilfering, specifically. And who also uh, uses time that the employer has bought and paid for for wasteful things to keep from doing what they're supposed to do. And you see how God regulates that on both sides of it. He urges the employee to deal honestly with his employer, which means to use the time the employer has paid for for the employer's benefit and use the talent and abilities that he has paid you to use for his benefit as well. And to do it, not as though you were working for a man, a master, but to do it as though you were working for Christ. And then to the employer, to the master, he says, you don't mistreat your employers, employees. You deal with them honestly. You pay their honest wages that they have earned by doing what you told them to do. And remember, you've got a master in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So if husbands, wives, parents, children, employers, and employees followed these simple instructions about submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What a wonderfully better world this would be. And all you have to do to make it such is to do what God said to do. And that would impact every aspect of our lives. At the end he says, well, I don't want to pass up verse 31, a general statement uh, to Christians. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, That would be a great verse to hang up on the wall and look at before you leave the house every morning and to live by. And I like what that would do to us and to our relationships with others. Uh, when we found ourselves angrily shouting at somebody, we'd say, hmm, that's not what God tells me to do. When we find ourselves abusing somebody because they haven't pleased us, then we realize, no, that's not the way to do. When we find ourselves holding a grudge over something that somebody has done, you know, especially husbands and wives, in talking about that, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That, that's very, very good advice. I heard about one couple who said we decided to try that and didn't go to bed for three nights. <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about settling before the night comes. And uh, it's, a, it's a good practice. Whatever the fight's been about, it'd be a better practice not to have a fight, but anyway, whatever the fight's been about, it'd be good practice to right before you go to bed to kiss and say, 
Whatever you need to say. I was asked the question one time, if you had a husband and wife, both feel like the other has done them wrong. Which one of them should apologize first? And the answer I heard from another, I thought was pretty good, so I gave the same answer. Whichever one is more spiritually mature should apologize first. Um, it's never wrong to say I'm sorry. Sometimes not enough, but it's never wrong. And sometimes, even though it's not enough, it's not just all that can be said. What's done is done. And all we can be about it is sorry. But if we show that, then there ought to be forgiveness forthcoming. And even if the other has done worse to me than I did to her, <laughs> as we would probably think of it, uh, it still is such that we need to forgive one another as God in Christ's sake has forgiven us, and we need to let, not let the sun go down on our wrath. We need not, another way to say that is we don't, don't need to hold grudges. And there's a great deal of happiness to be found in following that so simple little admonition. Husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Discipline them in a reasonable way for when specifically they disobey. Employers, treat your employees right. Pay them their full wages. Give them what you promised to give them. And give them the working kind of environment that they need and that you, you promised to give them. And employees, give your, uh, give your employers a Full day's work for a full day's pay, full day's pay for a full day's work. Did I say that right? <laughs> give them all they deserve for what you promised to give them uh, when you hired out to them. Don't steal from them and, and, and be kind to them and do what you have agreed to do for them. And do it as if you were doing it for Christ and not for men. Those are the admonitions of this. It simply begins with a simple admonition, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Any comment or question about any of that? I really believe that's fundamental to the kind of life God wants us to have as Christians in the workplace, in the home, and that it's very, very clear that he wants his word he wants his children to apply what he has said, not just when they come to church. But notice, in the home and in the workplace and wherever else we may be, we are to be open with other people, be honest in dealing with them. We're to do what we say we'll do. And Janice gets completely upset, and I do too over a, an advertisement we hear on the uh, radio so often. Don't let your credit card companies fool you into thinking you've got to pay all you owe. Hire us as lawyers or credit counselors or whatever and we'll get them to cut it in half or let you pay a lot less. Among other things, the Bible says, oh, no man anything except to love one another.
I don't think that necessarily means don't ever make a debt. I think it means pay your debts. And one debt we've all got to all people is to love one another. But beyond that, we're not to owe anybody anything. And that means whenever it's due, we ought to pay it. And sometimes I understand we get over our heads. First of all, we need to work real hard not to charge more than we can afford to pay for. But secondly, if we do that, we need to work real hard to pay what we owe. And there are all kinds of legal ways to get out from under it, but we ought not to be looking for those. We ought to be looking for ways to pay what we owe and to give people that we've borrowed money from a, a true return for what they've loaned to us in good faith and not try to cheat them out of it or try to get some other body, body else to help us cheat them out of it. It's a matter of Christian honor and obeying God to owe no man anything. That was a sidelight. Any other comment or question by anybody? I appreciate the way you listen. I uh, sort of envy Todd Brenneman sometime. He's able to use questions and get things done by using questions and getting people to answer. I just lecture. And uh, that's just me. But you're very kind to listen. And I do appreciate that beyond measure. And I look forward next time as we continue in Ephesians. God bless.